Speaking about standing up to China, I love that. I love that you have the, the, the T-shirt here. Where is Peng? How do you pronounce it? Is it Peng Shui? Peng Shui. And you know, we have to make certain that that she has a voice. And it's because of the Australians that first, you know, brought this T-shirt out at the Australian Open. Well, they got kicked out for yeah. doing it, but then, but and then they changed their mind. Now they've all got one. Yes, they all absolutely, got one. absolutely. Well, it's, I mean, it's completely crazy, right? That you, this is like a classic thing that everyone should be speaking out about because it's it's a guy in power who's clearly, you know, abusing mm-hmm. someone, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. she speaks up about it and she disappears. And I guess she, I guess she came back briefly and made some forced statement, and then disappeared right. again. And I'm going to be a proud wearer of her, this shirt until we know that she is actually alive. I'm Joe Lonsdale. Welcome to American Optimist. I'm delighted to have Ambassador Kelly Craft here with us today. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for having me. You're a businesswoman, obviously a former diplomat, a proud Kentuckian philanthropist, and I'm really excited to talk to you about what's going on in the world these days. You know, I, I want to start off maybe by asking you a little bit about kind of U.S.'s role in the world and the current events. Are things going to be reshaped after COVID? Are we ever going to hold China accountable or, you know, get Beijing to start behaving again? What's, what's going on in the world? Well, you know, what a better day to talk about, I think, what's on everyone's mind. And even on mine is when I landed just to check the updates on what's happening in the Ukraine. Mm. You know, what is happening within the Biden administration and with Putin that the whole world is watching? So this is not just about Ukraine. It's not what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What happens in Ukraine is watched all over the world. And just like in Afghanistan, now we have... Iran watching, you know, we have all the Middle East. We obviously have China watching very closely because my fear is Taiwan will be next. Yeah, they're watching to see if we're going to do anything or not, if we, have, if we have courage. Yeah, and you know, since, since the debacle in Afghanistan with NATO, I think our NATO allies are just a little, I mean, they're unified as to how they want to respond to Ukraine. Most of them are, with the exception of Germany. But I think that, that Biden has not shown strength as the president that I served, we would have never been gone this far. What, we what's, what's the right way to show strength in this situation? Like, well, I think I would that? have never allowed any red lines to cross. You know, I would not be taking troops away from Poland. I would be adding troops. Mm-hmm. I would be making certain that I applied sanctions immediately. I would not have said I'm going to apply sanctions. I would apply sanctions to where it hurts, and that's in the oil and the gas industry and their banking industry. But obviously, we have the Germans. and Is this because the Germans are getting so much gas from Russia, they're just afraid mm-hmm. to break that for them? Or is mm-hmm. there some other reason the Germans are... I mean, is Merkel somehow paid off like Schroeder was? I, I know Schroeder's not officially paid off, but he's running freaking Putin's he's energy running, companies. He's running the, the so gas prom, but... Who, who used to run Germany? What's going on here? Why is Germany not doing the right thing? Well, most of their oil and gas, I mean, that, that is their... It's, it's an economic decision. And I think they also, you know, they have a lot of history and they, and they, they feel guilty. Um, but... We should have never allowed, as Trump made that statement, for for Nord Stream 2. Mm -hmm. That should have been immediately on Biden's mind. We're going to cease this now. We are going to name the Russians in the banking system, and we are going to apply sanctions. Instead of sending 
very weak threats because we haven't acted upon them. The, the energy thing I kind of get from the left, like so one of the things that recently on the left mm-hmm. I saw, I was hanging out with the guys who run the uh, Latin America Development Bank, which is $170 billion. Mm-hmm. And, and, and and they they wanted to fund the natural gas terminal. And of course, Europe and America said, no, it's energy, so we're not going to fund it. So Russia and China funded it instead, right? And took, it, took mm-hmm. it. So I, I get that the left is just just doesn't think strategically in terms of energy because it's so against it for whatever reason. But why, why, why is it against the sanctions part? Like I understand the mistake they're making on energy. Why are they making the mistake on not giving sanctions from the financial system for, for the Russians? Are they, why are they afraid to do that? Well, I think they're afraid because it's going to affect their personal economy. It's going to affect Germany. And it also, they believe, will affect the EU countries. So I think we need to be thinking very strategically. We need to immediately know Nord Stream 2 mm-hmm. right now. If you remember when Biden came into office, so we, we ended the Keystone we allowed, we took the sanctions off of the Gazprom construction project. And for, for, for our viewers who don't know about Nord Stream 2, can you explain, explain what, what Well, it is, it is the new pipeline that's from Russia to through Germany. And what the problem is going to be is we are now bypassing Ukraine. So we're going into the winter months. They're going to have complete control of the heating systems in Ukrainian homes. And they haven't forgotten that because with Nord Stream 1, that was also an issue that sometimes they would have heat, sometimes they wouldn't, depending on what the politics was going on between Russia, Ukraine, and that entire area. So now we have, obviously, our NATO troops. Everybody is on alert. Um, We have, thank goodness for NATO, because they will defend a country that is a country of a rule of law and democracy. And I think that we need to show strength within our NATO group and show Germany that they are part of NATO. We have to protect Ukraine. It is in our 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 DNA to protect them because they are a country, their democracy, their rule of law. And in 2014, when Putin went into Crimea, that was at that time, Obama, Biden. And so Putin knows what happened then. He was able to, to have Crimea. And so he's mm-hmm. thinking, well, Biden's president, it's not going to be any different than in 14 when Obama, Biden. Yeah. And he, and if anything, Biden seems even less likely mm-hmm. than Obama to strike back. Mm-hmm which is unfortunate. It is very unfortunate. And, and it is going to re- reflect years from now what's going to be happening with our global security. Everyone is watching. What what what, what is Russia's incentive? This is, Russia's always a very funny one to me. I, we, I mentioned Latin America before. We were down with the president in Colombia. And, and, and you, know, you know, so so Chile, we know, used to be mm-hmm. like the most free market economy. And it's unfortunately been shifted over, kind of conquered, you say, by the, by the socialists. And a lot of those protesters, we understand, came from Cuba, came from Venezuela. We're using Russian technology to kind of help Chile push to the left. And, and the president of Colombia told us he caught those same Chilean protesters with Russian technology mm-hmm. trying to do these things in Colombia as well. This is Duque. This is, yeah, Duque. 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 He's a few years ago before COVID. He's, mm-hmm. he's still in charge. And there's all these protests going on. And it's just, it's crazy to me because this would have made sense to me in the 1980s. Like it was the Cold War. What, why, why is Putin still doing this? He's like, he's the, he's like, he likes, he's the bad guy from the, from like the old KGB movies, but he's still doing it 30 years later. Like what's, what's, what, what's he thinking? Well, I mean, they feel very threatened. They feel threatened that, you know, NATO and, and our alliances in the West, and they do not want us taking more of Eastern Europe. They want to take back what they rightfully think is theirs. 
from, just as you said, from before. I mean, Putin is KGB. But, but he's causing trouble all over the world mm-hmm. still. And is that it's part of his broader strategy because he doesn't like us, because it gives him more ability to work with corrupt regimes? Like, what's what's the strategy? Well, I think he, he and, and also she want to be able to cause a lot of of turmoil within the U.S. because what that does is that takes away our standing as in a global power. So, so are they? So they're actively probably helping do things to cause turmoil here. Do you th- are there are there groups that we've caught them donating to? That are there political groups here, or, or are, there, are there other things they're actually doing actively inside the U.S. with social media that we know about? Well, obviously we've we've seen that with with the holding people ransomware in the United States. We've seen that all over the, all over the world for that matter. Mm-hmm. But I think what we've also seen with Russia and people need to remember that the Russians themselves are not about us going or them going into Ukraine. Mm-hmm. They don't want to lose their own soldiers. So therefore you see the mercenaries, you see Russia has a lot of mercenaries. We saw this in Libya. We have seen this Where in Where are the mercenaries Syria. from that they're using? They're from everywhere, but in, in Libya, there was a Wagner, the Wagner group. So they are very wow. famous for their for their mercenaries. They don't want to lose their own. That this sounds, is going like to be a German name? economic. No, no, this will be an economic Wagner. burden for them. Got it. You know, they're they're not economically very sound, so this will be a burden upon them. And I I think that they're going to have to weigh their risk. But what is their risk? Because we haven't given them any reason to step back. We haven't hit them where it hurts. Got it. No, we got we got we got to hit them. Well, well. Speaking of that, hitting them where it hurts. Let's talk a little bit about China. Mm-hmm. Like, should we be boycotting the Beijing Olympics right now that are coming up? And, and you know, well, you know, we should have never allowed in, in July of 2015 when Beijing was awarded by five votes. By the way, awarded the Olympics. We should have immediately then, because human rights issues were happening, and that is one of the standards mm-hmm. yeah. that the Olympic Committee sets: is human rights, rule of law. Well, none of that was happening in China. What I believe now is we have to use our voices to point out the human right abuses, what they're doing to the Uyghurs, the Tibetans, the blacks. Mm-hmm. Our athletes need to be protected. And, you know, if you are a parent of, a ch- of an athlete and you've invested and done mm-hmm. without so that your child can become yeah, it's, a, it's an, it's an this, obsession this, for years. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. no different than some of these basketball players' families, and, and you, you, you know that, Joe. Yeah. So you're going into China. They're inviting the world into their home, and yet they're going to take away the freedom. They just made the announcement that U.S. athletes or any athletes that voice speak displeasure. You believe. No. That there's, a, there's a lot of rumors going around that my friends showed me that the app, the app you have to download for mm-hmm. healthcare purposes actually has spyware in it that's going to be recording everyone and sending it back to the Chinese, which doesn't surprise me at all. I don't know if you've heard anything about this, but it's crazy. I have read about this. I don't have verification, but it doesn't surprise me at all because it's been going on for many, many years. It's what they do when you go there. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's so so so. What's the right thing to do right now? Like, what, and what should the U.S. strategy look like towards China more broadly? Because obviously, it's very problematic what they do. At the same time, there are innovators in China who who pro- want to be free and want to be able to build. And there's and there's some really great talent there building important things. And so, on one hand, like China morally is a big problem. On the other hand, it does seem like there's some good for the world to work with innovative people and build together in some form. How should we be approaching this? Well, I think. Several questions there. I think from the Beijing, from the Olympics, we need to really stress to our NBA affiliates, the people that are you know with the Olympics, they need to use every moment they can 
to call out the human right abuses, to call out in support of the Uyghurs, in support of the Tibetans, the blacks, and the minorities. We also need to really put a lot of pressure on the corporate sponsors because if you are there and you are supporting the Olympics, you're supporting Beijing, this is the biggest propaganda story China will have. This is going to help them with what they're already doing, right? They're building up their military. Their, their technology is being built every day. It seems like the corporations have decided it's safer to be pro-China, and, and but then still go along with the anti-U.S. stuff, which is very strange to me. They're still getting away with that. Yeah, but if you remember when, when at the time, candidate Trump ran on China's predatory practices. Yeah. Right? He ran, yeah. he ran on the, no, their he's very cybersecurity. Cr- he's, he's like, he's the emperor has no clothes. He's the only one calling it out. Absolutely. He yeah. ran on it. He was elected. He immediately applied sanctions. He immediately said, we're going to bring America back, our economy. We are going to be in charge of our supply chain. He did this. Mm-hmm. I actually was very pleased during the campaign of now President Biden that he did not go against the original fault it's, it, well, of It seems China. like Trump shifted things so much that yes. it would be too hard for Biden to go back to his task. Yes. And, you know, this is one thing that, believe it or not, American households all agree upon is China's predatory practices. So so what can we, should we, should we be censoring those corporations who are going along with that? Like, what does the law look like? What, what should we be doing to, to push against it more? I mean, I think these, these corporations are now starting to feel pressure. Obviously, this is a huge global supply chain. And thank goodness that President Trump did begin this with our steel, our mm. aluminum industry, all our, our, our soybeans, our crops, but our But there's a lot of stuff though, that we have to get from China, otherwise the price will go up in the near term, right? So, so, that, so that's why you're saying you can't just pull Absolutely. it all out right you away. You can't just yeah. pull it all out, but what we should do is continue what Donald Trump set forth, and that was making sure that we build up our manufacturing here at home. Yep. And you know, I just keep telling people we are just one president away from having our country back, from putting America back again. Just get, get, get enough manufacturing here. Mm-hmm. America mm-hmm. Doesn't, doesn't have to be as reliant on China as mm-hmm. we are, you're saying. And this is why this is why President Trump really focused on USMCA, the, the former NAFTA, USMCA, our, our trade agreement with, with Korea, our trade agreement with Japan. We yep. were very focused, and if we hadn't been focused pre-COVID, can you imagine what our supply chain would be like today? It'd be, it'd be even worse, yeah. In our economy. We've, we've put, my friends and I put billions of dollars into doing more advanced buying manufacturing mm-hmm. in the U.S. because mm-hmm. it's a problem because that's in China. There's a lot of things like that we still have to fix. Um, and and I think you're in the same mindset. You've had yeah. the same mindset. We have, but it's, same- but it's hard. It's mm-hmm. hard. And I, and I have been involved in companies that have sold things from China to the U.S. and Europe because it is the, it is like the cheapest way to do certain things. And it's, and it's really tough as a business to say, I'm going to charge you 20% more, but please go with me because I'm not from China. And meanwhile, they're probably gonna buy it for the 20% cheaper one. So it's, so it's, it's a challenge. Right, and you know, and on top of that, now we have one of the worst labor shortages. Exactly. Well, so you we, know, a, a, a terrible global or supply chain at the moment. So under Biden, we have seen our, you know, our obviously the worst situation at our US border with Mexico in history. Should, should, we, be changing, should we be changing how immigration works with regard to the labor shortage? How do you think about that? You know, I think that people should be able to come into our country legally to, to work. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But, but so to stop the illegal people mm-hmm. coming in, but mm-hmm. make it make it so more mm-hmm. people come legally to work when, when they're needed. You know, I'm a Kentuckian and that's in that's the bourbon and the horse industry and the yep. agriculture industry. You and need, so we depend on need, a lot of these, of these workers and we are yeah. having a major worker shortage. But once again, people should be able to come in legally. Let's enforce the law mm-hmm. and keep it safe. Yes. And on the last question on China, what should we do if they move on Taiwan? And, and are we ready? 
Well, don't you think Taiwan is really watching very closely? Yes. So China has been sending a lot of a lot of their their defense system over Taiwan, which is yeah, they the keep, most they keep ever. flying over yes. and flying back. Yes. Should we be giving Taiwan more actual useful help weapons to defend against them and to deter them? Well, under Trump, we were we actually sold them the most of any president. And hopefully we are continuing to allow them. Just like with Israel, we need to make certain that we equipped, whether it's Ukraine, whether it's Taiwan, Israel, mm-hmm. so that they are able to fight. So they are able to have their own defense forces. We mm-hmm. also need to make certain that we stress, if you think about this generation in Taiwan, this, this young generation, they were born Taiwanese. Mm-hmm. So they were not born Chinese. They've only known democracy. Yeah. I mean, President Tsai has an entire generation of young adults that have always known freedoms. And they, and, and they know what's going on in China. They're not stupid. Absolutely. So they need to also understand that freedom comes at a price. And that is going to be, as in Israel, you know, mandatory or whatever mandatory do they, uh, military. Do they have that right no, now? No, they do not. They probably should. Huh? They do not. But they... But if anything, they need to stress to these young adults, if you want to continue the lifestyle you have yeah. and to protect Taiwan, if you if, think about Taiwan, it is our only defense in that area. So if we lose Taiwan, we're losing our line of defense. And don't you think Ch- uh, Japan is a little worried about that? I, I, well, they should be stepping up more, which they are, I suppose, mm-hmm. which is good. I mean, yeah. if it was well, me, if it was me, I'd be giving them like 50,000 3D printed hypersonic missiles or whatever to like, But think about know. it, though. We've got what's happened. We have the quad. Yeah. So now, now we've got, you know, Australia has been, had their own issues with China, you know, so we, we have more countries acknowledging mm. the, the, the fear of an invasion of Taiwan that used to be kind of a hush hush thing. Yeah. So that's promising to think that we have Australia and Japan and India as part of the AUKUS now starting to talk about their concern about the Taiwan Strait. You know, we, we obviously have have the Australian and the U.S. and the U.K. with the submarines. So that's a positive. I think China's watching this. But right now at the moment, what they're thinking of is how can they prop up countries like Iran, countries that absolutely want the destruction of Israel and the U.S.? How yeah. can they partner with Iran? How can they partner with because that Because that, ca- that causes distractions from us, that, that hurts mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's, 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 it's very strange to me that they, cause you'd think China would have an interest in global order, but it's almost like, but they're partnering with the bad guys because their interest is actually in disorder because they want us to be weaker so they can get away with, with stuff. Is, is that Well, yeah. And you know, I was just thinking, I think February 22nd is going to be the 50 years that Nixon first went to China. Yeah. And you know, when you think about that visit, that was all about what we thought could build up our economic Right, our economic engine yeah. for prosperity. Well, mutual is mutual benefit. Action, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And Nixon, little did he know, fast forward to today, that what they have practiced are predatory lending. Yeah, you know, stealing our intellectual property. Obviously, with their AI advances, building up their military, and that's a real problem. And that's where I have an issue with all this propaganda with the Olympics. They're going to be on the yeah. world stage. Yeah, because there's because there's, there's mutual benefit they could be doing, but then they have this philosophy of just cheating and stealing mm-hmm. and getting whatever mm-hmm. they can. I noticed. And, you the, know, I'm sanctioned yeah. by China because of, of well, that's, that's literally good. speaking out and and if making you, certain if you were that the, the world UN, knows. If you were at the UN and you're not sanctioned by China, you probably did something wrong, right? So that'd be my. I wear few. it with the badge of honor, and I'm, yeah. I, you know, obviously I I believe in Taiwan. I know the importance. If you can think that if the Taiwanese had not, a first brought to our attention that the Wuhan virus 
was transmittable person to person. What we've lost 875,000 Americans. Can you imagine? This is completely insane. Mm -hmm. China China clearly knew this Mm -hmm. and covered it up and made sure it Mm -hmm. spread internationally because otherwise it would have hurt them more than everyone else. And And their mouthpiece was the World Health Organization. So Tedros was, you know, kind of Yeah, this drove me me absolutely Mm -hmm. crazy because my understanding is that within the Trump administration, they were negotiating a bunch and and the World Health Organization had offered... All, all these different things they do and they investigate. And, and of course, the Trump administration was so angry, rightly so, that they split off. Then the Biden administration came back and the Trump people said, if you're going to go back in, they offered all these different things they mm-hmm. do to like investigate and show these things before, to get you to come back in. And the Biden administration said, no, we're just going to come back in with any of those. Right. Which, which, which just doesn't make any sense to me. It's like you had all this leverage that was built up and they didn't even want to use it. They didn't care. Well, and you see today where the World Health Organization had the audacity to say, oh, we're going to stand right behind Neil Young, you know, with, with him being oh, yeah, kicked to, off. To, to, to censor I mean, Joe can you Rogan. believe Tedros is now getting engaged in this and saying, oh, well, he, you know, Neil Young stands for total transparency about the COVID vaccine. And I want to say, no, he doesn't. can you believe that Tedros is making that statement? from the World Health Organization, an organization that has no transparency, no accountability. No, it's obviously corrupt. They're China's mouthpiece. By, yeah, it's, yeah. And if, and if, I, think, I think a lot of people are starting to realize stuff mm-hmm. like this, though. I mean, this is kind yeah. of, I think it's hard for them to hide, right? I think this is why I actually think there's such a big mm-hmm. wave right now against some of what's happening in this administration. Well, and you know, I sat in that seat behind that placard that read United States of America. And I can tell you, I watched the Chinese within the UN system. I mean, it is the world's biggest town hall, if you think about it, right? Yeah. And you see the Chinese wanting to slowly infiltrate into some of the inner organizations within the UN. And, you know, they're thinking 25, 50 years out. Yeah. So we need to be paying attention to the World Health Organization, to the International Aviation, to our food and agricultural, that they are now engaged and they're, all of they're, they're, me, try, they're trying to conquer all of those. And, and to, so if something else happens, they'll have the same control they did this time. Well, that's our, our not only global security, but is our it is. Should our we be building separate security? stuff that's not controlled by them, or or do we have to fight for the ones that already exist? How should we be thinking of that? Are you within the UN system? Yeah, for all these different organizations, it seems like they're all corrupt and they're all kind of ridiculous anyway. But is it important we still fight for them? I think it's very important that every day that those of us that are like minded. But you know, the problem is, is that you have a change of administration. And, you know, like that, you go back into the the Human Rights Council, you go back into the World Health Organization, you know, you join organizations where there are members that are bad actors. Is there any way we can we can work across the aisle better on the strategy here to make it so it's more coherent? Because it seems like it used to be more coherent 50 years ago. I think at the United Nations, what I tried to do was to listen to the other ambassadors, because you will gain some knowledge and you will also gain where they're coming from. Well, there's other ambassadors from other other allies in other countries. Mm-hmm. But what about what about the left? And what about like the people who you know are going to be running our strategy in the UN on the left? Is there any way to work with them where you where you can somehow keep some coherence between the different administrations that are in charge? Well, I think right now at the UN, you're going to see that that they have maintained the pressure against China. You know, they're having a, a, a they're having a meeting on Monday within the Security Council mm. to talk about Russia, Ukraine. Do you guys call each other and at least talk behind the scenes? So I am always there for my successor because my predecessors were there for me and, and okay. her, so there's her some, there's success. Some co- there's some coherence. Absolutely. That's, well, good to, that's good to hear. We may disagree on a lot, but what we do agree upon is we are so lucky to be born in this country. Awesome. And as bad as it may seem, and, you know, with the pandemic 
and when with our racial uprising and, and with our supply chain and on and on and our border crisis, I'm very optimistic that we are born in America and we are born in a country where we just, you know, the fastest ever the Operation Warp Speed for our vaccine that was historic. Yeah. We are by a country that everybody by looks to. It only came out after, right after the election, but it was very impressive. <laughs> I, I have a, I want to ask about something positive, the Abraham Accords. Yes, I think this is absolutely. an amazing accomplishment. It's kind of one of the most optimistic mm-hmm. foreign policy achievements of the last few decades. Uh, what what spawned this innovative approach? How did, how did that come about? And, and, you know, obviously there's been all this playbook that hasn't worked forever and you guys tried something different and it really works. Let's talk about that a little well, bit. Well, you know, you think about Donald Trump, you think about it's not one, it's not two, not three, it's four countries that yeah. we brought in to normalize with Israel. And what an incredible day. So this is a man who comes into office. He says, why can't we move the embassy? Yeah. Why can't we have normalization? And why can't we apply tougher sanctions on Iran, because we all know that in the Middle East, they all agree that Iran is the threat. Yeah. Iran is the danger. They're Iran, the they're proxies. So the you guys, know, it the, was the, a the very proud moment. Are, are the bad guys. Yeah. Absolutely. And, mm-hmm. and I think the Palestinians have seen that some of the countries that have normalized with Israel are also countries that have large diasporas of Palestinians. Yeah. And you're seeing now mines, you're seeing you know, the economy being shared from country to country, first time flights coming over. You know, you got tourism now opening up. I love when I go to the Middle East, I can fly from Israel right to yeah. the UAE. You know, yeah. I don't have to stop somewhere else yeah. in Jordan. I yeah. mean, we have, you know, the, the embassy in Jerusalem. I mean, everybody said to the president, this is not going to happen. I mean, John Kerry said himself, it's going to be an inferno. No. Why did they think it was going to be an inferno? Just because like, like, what, like what, 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 what made them think that? Well, all right. Think about what happens at the U.N., I think when, when an American ambassador to the United Nations takes the oath of office, they ought to include, and I will always have Israel's back, yeah. because more than half of the sanctions They're always against Israel. are always against Israel. You look at the Human Rights Council, always against Israel. They have their own platform there to yeah. always talk about what Israel is doing wrong. I defended Israel every single day in the Security Council. And will continue to do so for the rest of my life. However, when you're constantly defending someone, the other countries, I mean, you you see Mm. the Islamic countries that belong to some of these organizations. So they're the reason behind the UN Human Rights Council is because they they don't want anything good about Israel. So it's to their advantage that they see the total destruction of Israel. You look at Iran, death to Israel, death to America. So I constantly was fighting for Israel and, for that matter, for Taiwan within the the United Nations, especially within the Security Council with Israel. And so, what what did this what does this do to Iran to have these countries working together? Are they are they is there going to be mutual security against Iran? Is that the kind of behind the scenes idea? We would think so. We hope so. We also hope that it will bring in more countries. I think we're there are two or three countries that are really looking very strongly because they're seeing the success not only from a a, a shared security reason in the Middle East, but Mm. also the economy, people to people, communications. But the troubling part is after this happened, you see where China is now establishing a 25-year plan with Iran. We've yet to see what is exactly in this this. It just seems totally insane. Russia is now developing. It seems totally insane that we tolerate Mm -hmm. China working with Iran 
while we're like trading with China, because Iran's sponsoring terrorists and Yemen is sponsoring terrorists and Lebanon is sponsoring terrorists in Syria. Like, like there's, there's they're a major sponsor of terrorism, mm-hmm. and, and China's working with them. It shouldn't, you should, shouldn't there just be a bunch of countries that say, sorry, we're not going to work with you anymore if you're going to work with these guys? It's I just, think it's that's crazy. slowly happening. And if you can, you know, let's let's okay, take one thing here. If you look at China and you look at the African continent. It's the, very, very rapacious all over Africa. Yes, but you know what? It's really on the decline, China what, being what? able to have... Because the countries don't trust them anymore. No, because they go in, they build these big, shiny buildings, Yeah. but they don't tell the countries, well, we're going to own you because we know you can't pay us for them. Yeah. And we bring in our own workers, so we're not adding to your economy. So when we leave you, you just have these buildings. And now and, uh, we're talking 10 years later or five years later, these buildings are starting to crumble. Same with the roads I hear. They build really, roads, really shoddy ports. stuff. Yeah. I mean, so they're, you know, they, they, they were very clever at first. And now we're seeing that the countries, yes, they, they are in terrible debt to, to China. However, they will not allow them to come in and take some of their strategic areas, whether it's yeah. the ports, whether it's their, their airports, you know, Iran, wherever you see conflict in the Middle East, think about Syria. Yeah. You look you look at Yemen. Yeah, they're there in the background they're causing there. The trouble. They're there. They are either you know propping up the Houthis or they're supplying so, weapons. So it just, just seems so ridiculous to me that why couldn't the rational people in UK and Germany and France and Japan and India just get together and say, China, we're only gonna trade with you and allow this if you stop working with bad guys and stop supporting these terrorist areas. Like it just seems like we're just really soft on them. And, and why wouldn't everyone just gang up and say, this is unacceptable? Well, I don't think they're soft. I think there's a lot going on behind the scenes and it's, it's a lot more difficult and more entailed because everybody has their own supply chain, their own global supply we're all, chain. We're all using China basically mm-hmm. for stuff mm-hmm. that we're kind of all stuck and they know, mm-hmm. they know that. So that, that kind of empowers them. That's and you know, and until, and until, Everyone is united. And let's just talk about our own country. Yeah. Until we're all united around one common theme, and that is the safety and the security of America. America first. Because if we're safe and secure here, then we can be able to go out in the world and to spend our resources. Mm-hmm. And obviously what happens around the world is going to also affect us at home. So it's very important. Yeah. We have a lot of people on the right who are becoming more isolationist mm-hmm. and you're saying that's just, that's dangerous because mm-hmm. we're not going to be secure if mm-hmm. we follow that too closely. Absolutely. Because yeah. we are going to be responsible, especially after this, this Wuhan virus, mm-hmm. the poor countries are even more poor. We're seeing a lot of situations now where the, just the normal childhood vaccines were kind of put onto the side because we were focused on that's the COVID vaccine, right? Yeah. And, and so, you know, even, even some of the emerging economies are really hurting right now. You, you've been to Latin America. You see what's happening. You look at Colombia. Yeah. They've taken in an influx of the Venezuelan refugees, right? Yeah. So they are really hurting now because they were, obviously, their resources were being spent, a lot of them, on the refugees. Yeah. Well, so there's, there's a challenge there. But I, I want to go back maybe briefly to you and in Israel a little mm-hmm. bit, because we talked about that a little bit. So the corruption and injustices in the United Nation are well documented, especially Human Rights Council, which you mentioned. Why does it make sense for the U.S. to be part of the U.N., given how corrupt it is? And and it's, you know, it's it's it's, it's obviously has these anti-Semitic forces. It obviously has all these, like, dictators there, and they're all trying to conquer pieces of it, control pieces of it. And we, we know that, you know, Elon Musk, I think, had a, had a tweet out showing that we pay billions of dollars and get nothing 
nothing in return. Is this a good deal for the UN? Like, like, why is the UN important? Why shouldn't we just say like, you guys are idiots and we'd have a different way of working with you? What a better way for us to keep an eye on countries than to have them in our own home. Now, I will tell you when President Trump asked mm-hmm. me to serve as the United States ambassador to the UN, yeah. we were at his, his table in his office and he, he absolutely said the number one is you've got to watch the American taxpayers' dollars. Don't waste money and too much money no, on it. Yeah. You have got to demand transparency, demand accountability. I love that. Yeah. And I said, yes, sir. And obviously, now that I'm sanctioned by China, he, <laughs> he understands that because he said, you've got to watch China, you've got to watch Russia, Iran. But, you know, there is a way within the U.N. system that if we if the U.S. is not the global power within the U.N. system, we don't have a body double, Joe. There is no one waiting out there in the wings that is a democracy. And the, and the UN still emphasize, still controls a lot of what happens, unfortunately, in the world. You're saying it's, it's, it, it does matter. It does absolutely, affect those things. Yeah. absolutely. And I think you know the big the China's the big carrot that China has right now is climate is the climate change. And I How think is that's that what, their carrot. They're the ones who are growing more pollution than anyone else. They're building coal plants. Because so, it's which, going to make I'm Biden not, look not, really actually, good. Yeah, there's I mean, argue yeah. whether or not coal's good or bad, right. but, but but it's crazy. This is a carrot for yeah. them. But you know what they do is is who do they, who who does Biden send over for the first meeting with China in Alaska? John Kerry. Yeah. Well, he is the climate czar. So China keeps telling us. If you look at Scotland they, in twenty sixty five, they're going to reduce things. It's like, yeah. it's, like, it's like a joke. It's like they're mocking us. There. But it would be a win, or Biden sees that as a win for him, if he is able to bring them even even to this, reduce. This is the their, class of negotiation. You just start going as mm-hmm, fast as you can, yeah. as high as possible, in order to give them a win by only going up, not as much. So you look at the last minute in Glasgow, Scotland, during the conference. If you look at that very last minute for the communique, where I believe it was India. I know it was China lessened their percentage of greenhouse gases. They said, you know, we cannot meet these requirements, but they waited to the last minute. Of course. I think that they've been dangling this carrot to Biden and he, and he desperately need, needs a this win on this. This seems like a fake thing for dumb people. I don't understand how this is like the focus. But you know what? Look what we've had. We have had Afghanistan. So total he, debacle. He's just he's had so many debacles. So he just wants yes. to win somewhere to yes. show some people, yes. even, even if it's fake. Even if it's fake, he needs something. So, and, and so therefore, they have that leverage with him. Mm-hmm. That's a shame. Um, I want to ask briefly about being ambassador to Canada and what's going on in Canada right mm-hmm. now, actually, yeah. as well. So that's, uh, you know, the truckers mm-hmm. thing is really interesting in Canada. My understanding, talking, you know, Prime Minister Harper's a friend who was on mm-hmm. the show, and he was telling me how there's just no kind of right-leaning media at all in Canada. And the left has gotten very good at making people afraid to speak up at all because you're labeled far right. And in Canada, that kind of isolates you in their society. It's like a very dangerous thing. Everyone's afraid of being called. And so no one's speaking up. And so a lot of people are implying that these truckers are only a few hundred when it's actually, seems like, yeah, it seems like mm-hmm. at least tens of thousands mm-hmm. of people. And they're implying that they're all crazy far right anti-vax extremists. And a lot of them are vaccinated. They're like Trumpers. They're like saying they're Trumpers, right? Yeah, yeah they're yeah. saying they're Trumpers yeah. and worse. Yeah. And, and it, but actually a lot of them are vaccinated. And mm-hmm. I understand there's parts of Canada where you can't go outside past 10 p.m. Right now, still, mm-hmm. there's curfews going mm-hmm. on for this, for COVID still. It just seems like completely insane there. Like, what's what's going on in Canada and what, what's happening in their culture right now? Well, I will say that if you look at Western Canada, it's almost like being in Texas. The yeah. people are, they love America. They're obviously, they love energy. They love natural resources. And especially the if you look at Alberta, mm-hmm. Alberta's taxes from their energy industry are what helps subsidize Quebec and the areas that are so green, right? Mm-hmm. 
the supply chain there is really having a very difficult time. If you look, if you if you believe what everyone is saying, and what I have spoken to personal friends there, mm-hmm. where the grocery store shelves are I mean depleted, that's because the truckers can't get the supplies there. Because there's not enough. No, people. and the truckers are in many ways our frontline workers. Yeah. And Canada was applauding them back during the beginning of COVID. So what's changed? And what's changed is it's, that some of them don't want to be. It's, back, a, it's political. Yeah. It's all political. And, and Canada is obviously a very important ally. They seem to go back mm-hmm. and forth between these, between these extremes. I, I, what, 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 I'd be curious, like what, what were the big issues with Canada when you, when you were working with them? Well, I will say that, you know, with USMCA, first of all, the Canadians are, are their fierce negotiators, as they should be. Yeah. When you negotiate, when you're negotiating, you want the other side to be you fierce, get, you right? Get the, you because, should get the best. You should yeah, get the best deal you can at your absolutely. job. Absolutely, yeah. and you feel you feel like you earned it. Yeah. So when negotiations with NAFTA for USMCA, mm-hmm. you know, I was I was there with the Canadians, so I was on the American side, but during all the negotiations with Canada, and it ended up where we had most of the most of the negotiations were in Washington. So, hmm. you know, we had a lot of back and forth. There wasn't there. Trust me, there was no love lost there between Trump and Trudeau and our our trade negotiator and their foreign minister. But I had to really just one day state to our side, you know, what their trade representative is to them is the same as ours is to the president. So she is going to fight for what the Canadians, she believes the Canadians want, as we are going to fight for Americans. I think the main, the main, to me, one of the main chapters was the automotive chapter. And if you look at what we were able to do for the first time, the labor value content, Kentucky just was awarded two Ford battery operations. Mm-hmm. And that is because for the first time in history, we have made it where you have to have 40% of your autos and 45% of trucks like the F-150, which yeah. is where they're going to be building that battery in Kentucky, has to be made by workers making $16 an hour or more. That's cool. So if you look at the the content, the, the value content of a battery that does make up a portion of that 45% or 40%. That, so, so, so that means more can be built in the U.S. Absolutely. Because it's, because it's absolutely. So instead of, you know, Trump recognized that. So instead of sending outsourcing to countries, China, Mexico, you know, other countries that would, that would be cheap labor, they can't because they have to be making the same $16 an hour or and more. And, and you had to get Canada to agree to this before. Absolutely. And it was only very beneficial for Canada. But I will say that we've had one little hiccup where, where when President Biden came in and he has now decided that we are going to be, you know, electric vehicles by 2025, and there's mm-hmm. been these tax incentives to be able to, to purchase. Yep. Well, that is in direct violation of USMCA. So he's basically breaking the rules you agreed on with So them. the Trudeau administration obviously is very worried because that's going to take away from their lot of production. Yeah, it seems a little bit unfair for So he comes in, he cancels the Keystone Pipeline, which, you know, half of Canada yeah. is de- dependent upon for their own their own workers. The other half is dependent on the tax revenue. And then he gives a ta- or initiates a tax incentive for the electric vehicles, which is which is in direct violation. So I think our relationship with Canada, we need Canada. If we had not have renegotiated NAFTA, it had to be done, mm-hmm. obviously with technology 
it had to be done. If it hadn't have been done, I can't imagine what we would be like today with our supply chain. So we took an emerging economy as Mexico, a, a sound economy in Canada, and mm. a global power in the U.S. for the largest trade agreement in history. It can be done anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we need to be focusing on. And as a business, as a business person, I know you know that. If we can take those three countries, then I know that we can reach out to Africa, yeah. we can reach out to other countries that desperately need to have an honest broker and someone that's going to allow them sustainability at home. It seems like more of these broader trade agreements would mm-hmm. be would be good for us. It's probably mm-hmm. a good strategy against China too, if we could put some of those back in place. Well, and if we can leave areas whether it be Cameroon or Niger or Nigeria, if we can leave them with workers that are their own, what does that do? That builds up their communities. That builds up families. I mean, Mexico will tell you the fact that now their workers in the automobile industry are making $16. They don't have to come across the border illegally to work, right? So we're exporting goods and services, not people. It's allowed them to rebuild these communities that they otherwise wouldn't have because a lot of the... Hopefully the, gives some competition right, to, the, to the cartel power right. there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. A, if we can just get this border under control. I mean, yeah. Trump had it under control. Yeah, we got to fix that. Biden reversed it. And then he went back because he could see it is, it is the worst crisis in the history. There's, it seems like there's a lot of these policies that sound good on, the, on his side of the political spectrum. And then he realizes, wait a second, it's actually we need to go back to what Trump was doing. So. Well, you can't really gauge what is right or wrong by polls. Yeah, you got to actually see what works sometimes. Absolutely, and for the safety and security of our country. Yeah. So we started American Optimist because we wanted to push back on this wave of pessimism that seems Mm -hmm. to be sweeping a lot of people in our country right now. And, you know, a lot of people think that our best days were behind us. I happen to believe our best days Mm -hmm. are ahead of us. I'm I'm very optimistic. And I'm curious, like, what do you think the ideas and principles behind America mean to the rest of the world? And, and, And what do you think about our future? Well, you know... You know, if you look at you look back where you know we had a, a pandemic in in nineteen eighteen, we had the in the sixties the, the worst racial. You know, under Biden, we've had this pandemic. We've had the worst ever border crisis. Mm-hmm. But to be born in America, to be born an American, and to be sitting in the under you know behind that placard in the Union Security Council and being able to travel the world to see why they look at America as a superpower. Every day, I'm very thankful, and I know that everyone who is born here and anyone who comes here, comes here for an opportunity. They're leaving, at many times, they're leaving everything they have because they know America is a better place for democracy, for the rule of law, for freedom to raise your family, to start over again. And we need to really be focusing on the positives of our country. The fact that we have, we ha- we did, it was Trump Operation Warp Speed. I mean, that is historic, how quickly these vaccines occurred. Now we're going to have better collaboration within our healthcare system, within the, the, F- the FDA, within all of our researchers. I mean, I'm proud to say that I served under the Trump administration because I know he made America a much better place. And what he did will be will last for generations. And, 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 and you obviously worked a lot on a lot of different areas, but especially a lot of these programs around the world mm-hmm. and the Abraham Accords and others. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people are very cynical, obviously, about what's going on in the world right now with Russia, Russia mm-hmm. with Iran, with China. Are there, are there reasons to be optimistic over the next 10 or 20 well, years? Well, you know, look who won the Nobel Prize last year, the, the World Food Program. 
that's run by the former governor of South Carolina, David Beasley. So we have mm-hmm. an American there. Palantir powered their tech, actually. They did a lot of the work for them on that one. That yes. Cool. So, I, yeah. so I, you know, I attended the, the, the Peace Prize with Ambassador Beasley. And although mm-hmm. it was virtual, we were so proud. But if you look at what the World Food Program does around the world, feeding children. If you look at Yemen, which is one of the worst, the worst humanitarian catastrophes, because mm-hmm. it's a partially giant, because giant proxy battle with absolutely Iran and Saudi Iran. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The World Food Program. You look at UNICEF, also another American, Henrietta Four. So you look at the organizations that the U that the US does have direct control of. They're success stories. They're saving lives around the world. And every life we save around the world is going to be less of a burden on US taxpayers. And, and hopefully people will see that China's not doing that, but mm-hmm. we're doing that. We're, we're being forced for good. And everywhere I, everywhere I traveled, the fact that I was there representing the U.S., it was hope. It so, was hope. So, Ambassador, what's next for you? How are you going to help continue to steer the country in the right direction? Well, you know, I don't have an announcement today, but what I can tell you is that I'm very focused on 2022. We are going to win the House. We're going to win the Senate. And also being focused on Kentucky and making certain that we keep our double majority in our House and our Senate. And, you know, no matter what I decide, whether, you know, running for governor or running for another office, I will fight for Kentuckians every single day. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Thanks for being such a true patriot. <laughs>